0: that y'all filed last year didn't get to Mac's desk. (laughs) So I'm back. Work. We're going to talk about work. Uh, Before we get on the topic, though, uh, first of all, I appreciate Mac giving me the opportunity to do this, because entrusting his congregation is kind of like letting somebody watch your kids. I know that's a a big deal, and I'm highly honored that he would do that. Um, And our prayers are for he and Julie as they become empty nesters, um, giving him a little word of advice from someone who is an empty nester, it ain't all bad. (laughs) You'll miss them, but not that much. (laughs) Mac started this series a couple of Sundays ago talking about five things. And for those of you who have not been here the last two Sundays, first of all, I want to encourage you to go online, LHC.org. And find those first two um, services that he and Julie presented first on faith and then marriage and then work and then parenting and then fitness those are the five things and the concept of these five things is if you get these five things right you're pretty much done you don't have time for anything else and you have covered all of the bases you need to cover if you get those five things right so I would encourage you to go back and look at the first two if you did not ch- have a chance to be here for those last two services. But we're going to talk about work. Now, um, Mac asked me to do this for a couple of reasons. He's asked me to, to, to teach before, and for those of you who don't know me, I'm not a preacher. My dad was a preacher. Mac's a preacher. I'm not a preacher. I'm a teacher. I teach Bible study and have taught Bible study for years from far back as in Houston. But um, what qualifies me to do this is I'm a sinner. And for those of you who have never been here or visitors, oh, wow, this is going to be an interesting service. <laughs> but I happen to be saved by the grace of God through his son, Jesus Christ. And I work. I've worked on a farm and a ranch with my dad where I grew up. I've worked at a bank. My first job out of college was with the Texas Commerce Bank in Houston, Texas, where as a uh, Young college grad with nine months of experience under his belt and having gone through training, I was put in charge of 10 women. <laughs> That's where I learned to pray. <laughs> I've been to law school, I've worked at a large law firm, I've worked at a small law firm, I've started a law firm, I've hired people, I've fired people. I've worked for the government, for a governor of the state of Texas. I've started my own practice. I've started a business. I'm in the middle of a startup business right now. Been at it for about seven, eight years. Worked out of the house. I've worked at a building downtown. I've got several work experiences. And I found that throughout all of those experiences, the concepts of work are the same. They're the same. They don't change. Now, if I were to ask you this morning, why do you work? Why do you work? you would probably give me a similar answer, with a few exceptions. Most of us will say, well, I work for money. Well, I work so I can support my family. I work so I can educate my kids. I work so I can buy things. But sometimes, work becomes not fun. When I was a young lawyer in Houston, there was an associate, same age as me, we had been at it about two or three years. His name was Mike. He went into one of the other associates' offices, whose name was Rick. He went in, he closed the door, he sat down, and he said, I'm tired because I got a brief due next week. I got a partner riding my rear end about another deposition next week. I got another partner coming back from vacation who wants me to get something done. I am not having fun. And Rick looked at Mike and said, that's why they call it work. It's not supposed to be fun. You work, so you make money to go have fun. Now get out of my office. But that's not that unusual of an attitude about work, is it? And if you were to ask any of us why we work, the question would probably stop us just a bit. Scott Adams is a cartoonist, and he writes the cartoon Dilbert. And Dilbert is based entirely on work and the work environment. Dilbert is an engineer, he works with a large company, And last Sunday, Scott Adams addressed this issue of work and why we work. Let's look at last Sunday's cartoon. It's Sunday. It's Sunday morning. Let's read the paper. Mac ain't here. We can do what we want. (laughs) So he goes, the long hours of work are taking a toll on my body. This is the employee. That's Dilbert. He said, can I take some time off for my health? The boss says that would defeat the whole point of being an employee. You're supposed to be trading your health and happiness for money. Then give that money to your family and watch, the, watch them spend it while you eat yourself to death. It's a circle of life sort of thing. And Deborah says, I'm not married, loser. <laughs> but that really does describe a little bit of what we feel about work. Well, I work for money, and then my family takes the money, and then I eat myself to death, and they take the money, and they go work for money, and it's kind of a circle of life thing, Right? There's actually more to work than that. And particularly as Christ followers, we should have a different view of work. There is a principle that Max started with this series, and the principle is these five things fulfill the promises of God or project the promises of God and propel the purposes of God through us. Through these five things, we have the promises of God. And we fulfill the purposes of God as we are married, as we work, as we parent, and as we take care of our bodies and through our faith. So what is it about work that shows the promise of God? And why do we work? Well, the first reason we work and the first promise of God is that we are created for work. That is why we are created. That's why we're here. Now we know from Max's message a couple of Sundays ago that we were created in the image of God. Now what does that mean? That means God worked. He created all that we enjoy in the universe, in the earth. He worked so hard that he actually rested one day and we'll get to rest in just a minute. So we know we are created to work because God was created to work and he created us in his image. Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes expands on this a bit. Solomon, as you know, was the wisest man in the Bible. And Solomon had everything. He had money. He was the king. He had pleasures of life. He had all that he had available to him, anything he wanted available to him. If he didn't have it, he could have it made or have it built. He had rubies, diamonds, gold, jewelry. He had it all. He had cars. He had vacation homes in mountains for the winter sports. He had a vacation home in the beach for the summer. He had it all and throughout the book of Ecclesiastes he analyzes all of these things and he said you know what all of it is meaningless it's vanity it doesn't mean anything and he has a truism that he repeats throughout the book of Ecclesiastes and let's take a look at that truism and let's take a look at what he has to say about the essence of why we are created and what we are to do Ecclesiastes 2 24 he says there is nothing better for man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God. He said, with all that I have available to me, with all of the pleasures in life that I sought, with all that I have experienced, whether it's the power of the kingdom, or whether it's the power of the money that I have available to me or the pleasures that I can seek with that money, none of it matters. The only thing that matters is the labor and the enjoyment of that labor and eating and drinking. That's pretty much it. He goes on further in chapter 5 and he repeats this mantra six times, six different ways. Chapter 5, let's look and see what he says. Chapter 5 verse 18 of Ecclesiastes. Here is what I have seen to be good and fitting to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward. Now what he's telling us is that if you pursue anything other than the work and the enjoyment of your work and your labor under the sun, then whatever that other thing is that you're seeking will be meaningless. Oh, you may get there, and you may attain that thing you're seeking, that car, that financial independence, that house, that education of your kids at Harvard, Stanford, Texas A&M. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Max's not here. I can do what I want. He said, but what happens is you seek those other things, you'll get there, you get them, and you might have a moment of elation. You might have a season of elation, but at some point, it will not sustain you. It will not sustain you, and it will be meaningless, or in some biblical versions, it'll be vanity. Vanity. The only thing that matters is the toiling under the sun. And by the way, have you ever toiled under the sun? Anybody here ever worked in the sun, toiled under the sun? It doesn't feel good all the time, does it? No. No. Sometimes, it's not fun. But it is meaningful, when afterwards, you can look back and go, yeah, I did that. I did that. And you eat, and you drink, and that's all you need. That sustains us. It's just a grind, sometimes. Now let me be clear here. I want to make a distinction. Everybody has their own deal. My wife is an engineer. She graduated from Texas A&M with a chemical engineering degree. She took a lot of math and science. If I had to take differential equations and p and all of those things, I would throw up on the paper. It's not my deal, that's not my deal. That's, that's not my deal. But within our career choice, within the talents and gifts that God has given each and every one of us, We are to rejoice in that work. We are to rejoice in that toiling. We are to rejoice in that thing that he has given us and blessed us to do. That is why we were created. We are ultimately created to work, to eat, and to drink. It is the essence of who we are and what we do. The second thing is that work forms the foundation of our faith. Now, how many of you know when Jesus went looking for his disciples, who were the first three disciples that he found? Anybody know? Anybody know? Peter, John, James. John and James were brothers. They were the sons of Zebedee. What did they do for a living? Anybody know? Fish. They were commercial fishermen. You think that was just by chance? What did he find them doing when he found them? They were working. Let's look at it in Luke chapter 5, verse 4. Luke chapter 5, verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, that's Peter, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. In verse 5. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. Now, if you just read over those verses quickly, you might miss something. Did you catch the part where Peter said, we worked all night? All night long, they took the nets and they threw them out in the water, and they drew the nets back in and they came up empty. All night long, they threw the nets out in the water, and they drew the nets back in and they came up empty. Anybody here ever work all night? All night. You work all night. It doesn't feel very good, does it? My dad once got me up at 2 o'clock in the morning on a Monday morning. He was a minister. So we did not work on Sunday. So we bale hay all day on Saturday. The hay was lying in the field. I'm not talking about the big giant round bales they have now. Those hadn't been invented yet. They look like that. And we went to church that Sunday. And midnight came Sunday night. And 2 a.m. came. And he came into my room. And he says, well, weatherman said it's going to rain tomorrow. We need to get this hay in. I was about 15 years old. I thought my dad had lost his mind. I said, this man has gone nuts. We worked all night, and we hauled hay until about 8.30, 9 o'clock the next morning. We pulled the last load of hay into the barn. And it started to rain. He had to get the hay in because that meant money for our family. And so Peter and James and John had been working all night, and Jesus found them working because he wanted his first three draft picks to be hard workers. That wasn't by accident. They were going to form the foundation of his church, the church that we worship in right now. And he needed hard-working men, men who weren't afraid to work all night. By the way, you know the rest of that story. Peter took the net out after saying, Jesus, we worked all night. Well, okay, he didn't say Jesus. He said master. But in any event, he took the nets back out When the nets came back in, they were so full of fish, the nets started breaking. He had to call his business partners out to come help get all the fish in. And when they got back to shore, he fell down before Jesus and said, I am not worthy to be with you. I am not worthy. And he said, he he told Jesus, I'm a sinner. He goes, that's okay, I can take care of that sin thing. I need hard workers. I need a hard worker. So work forms the foundation of our faith. And work is an act of faith. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So someone who doesn't work, provide for his own household, is worse than an unbeliever who does provide for their household. It's an act of faith to work. That is why we were created. That is why God put us here. Though it's not fun sometimes, we don't just do it for the money. Now, let's talk about how we work. If we work because we're created to work, if we work because it is the foundation of our faith, and if we work as an act of faith, when we walk into our office tomorrow, when we go through the revolving doors, when we go and unlock the door to go into the office, or we go sit in our cubicle, hopefully we'll have a different view of what we're doing or if we have to put on gloves if we're blue-collar and go dig the ditch, or if we have to go fix somebody's car, or go fix an air conditioner, or whatever it is we do, if we have to teach to students that are coming back from the summer, we look at it with a different lens. It's now not just for the money. But that still leaves the question, how do we work? Well, the first thing we do is we work well. We work well, and we work as if working for the Lord. And we do that by providing value. So first, let's talk about working well. Colossians 3:23. Colossians 3:23. Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Now, what does that mean? If we work as if we're working for the Lord, That is we work as if we're going to receive a reward of inheritance that adds a different picture of why we work. What's the reward of inheritance? We've been forgiven of all of our sins. We've been forgiven our sins. All of them. We get the inheritance that Jesus gets from his dad, Jesus gives to us. And we're able to do it because we've joined the family because we've been forgiven of our sins. And so work as if you've been forgiven of your sins. That gives you a different attitude about work. Work heartily. And the first thing you do when you work heartily as if you're working for the Lord, we work to provide value. Now, my dad was a rancher. We had livestock, we had cattle and horses. And as a rancher, you have to bale hay, bale it in the summer, put it in the barn, take it out in the winter, and you feed it to the cattle and to the horses in the winter. Next spring, you put them back out for grass, you bail again, you put it back. It's a continuous cycle, never ending. He would occasionally have time to bail hay for others who didn't have farm equipment. And he would go to a, a rancher, would call him and say, come bail my hay. They'd negotiate a price per bale, and my dad would take all of his equipment, and we would go over and bail that rancher's hay. Now, a hay bale... For those of you who don't know, it's supposed to weigh 65 pounds, and my dad would take the bale, he would bale the first couple of bales, he'd get off his tractor, he would take the bale and he'd lift it up, and he'd do it like so. He had an internal weight, I'm not sure how he did that scale thing, but he'd know how much that bale of hay weighed just by doing that. And if it weighed 65 pounds, he would go over to the hay baler, he would crank it down a couple of times, and he would make it weigh 70 pounds. Now, what does that mean? That means more hay is in each bale, which meant he made less money, and the rancher or the farmer that he was baling the hay for got more hay for less money. And I asked my dad, I said, why do you do that? He said, I want to give him a good value for the money he's paying. And if I do that, I'll be back next year to bail this hay. Do we give value for the services that we provide? Do we give a 70 pound bail? Or do we just kind of skate by? Or do we maybe even fudge a little bit toward us, with our customers, with our patients, with our clients? You see, how we work as if we're working for Christ should be to provide value. And our goal would be to provide more value than we're actually getting back in financial resources. I saw a tweet this week that said, if you provide value, you will never go broke, and you will always have work. So we should be valuable to our clients, to our employers, to our customers, to our patients. With integrity. With integrity. Now you would think we wouldn't have to have this conversation in a house full of mostly Christ followers about integrity, but I will tell you we need to have this conversation. I tell high school graduates, college graduates, folks who want to graduating from law school who want to talk to me about the careers, I tell them all, at some point in your career you will be challenged To do something that is unethical, that is immoral, that is against the rules of the company, that is against the law for money. Don't do it. Because once you lose your integrity, you've lost it forever. I'm gonna tell you about an experience that I really don't wanna tell you about, but I have to. When I first started practicing law, I had a guy that I tried a bunch of cases for. We got to know each other pretty well. And one day we were talking, and he said, this was probably 25, 30 years ago. I was about 27, 28 years old. He was about my age now. He was about 55, somewhere between 55 and 60. He says, you know what, Jones? He says, anytime somebody tells me specifically at the beginning of a relationship, if they tell me that they are a Christian, I take both hands and I cover my rear end. I was slightly offended by that because I was a Christ follower. I never told him that. He figured it out. But I was slightly offended. Unfortunately, I found it to be all too often true. We don't use our Christianity to get business. We use our business to show our christ following Our Christianity should shine through. You shouldn't have to say it. Integrity. It's so important. Attitude. If we're Christ-like, we should have a good attitude, no matter what's going on at work. I have a lawyer friend that every time I call him, I say, hey Mike, how you doing? He'll say, better than I deserve. And it always caught me off guard when he said that. I liked it so much, I started adopting it. And so when people ask me, hey Bill, how you doing? I say, I'm doing better than I deserve. Now, that's hard to say when you've had a real tough day at the office when you've lost that contract, when when somebody has thrown you under the bus, when you've been hit in the stomach like with a a bowling ball because of something that happened at work, and you go to H-E-B to buy avocados and the lady across the counter says, so how you doing today? Better than I deserve. And then they all say, wow, great. You must be having a really good day. Well, the fact of the matter is if we're Christ followers, we are doing better than we deserve. Aren't we? No matter what's happening. So attitude. And we should work with wisdom. Wisdom. Proverbs eight fourteen. He says, Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. Power is mine. And in verse 17, I love those who love me and those who diligently seek me will find me. Anytime you have decisions in business, whether it's picking a career, whether it's changing a career, who to hire, who to fire, whether you should go to work for this company versus that company, should you sell this product or that one? Should you sign that contract or this one? Whatever the decisions are, God makes his wisdom available to us. The beauty of wisdom, anytime you read about it in the Bible, whether it's in James in the New Testament, Proverbs in the Old Testament, or wherever in between, He always makes it freely available to us. And he even says in Proverbs, I will make and those who diligently seek me will find me. So as Christ followers, we are charged to work with wisdom. Ask him, seek him, and find him. Because he's always there for us. Now, secondly, how do we work? We should teach our children to work. Woo! Boy, now we're talking blasphemy here. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I know parents who say I don't want my children to work until they graduate from college and go to work because they're gonna work the rest of their lives. I want them to play until it's time to go to work. Well, I have a question for you. Who's gonna teach them to work? What if the person that's teaching them to work doesn't have integrity, is not a Christ follower, doesn't view the the work the way we do, is only in it for the money, is willing to cut corners, will not bail 70-pound bales. We should teach our children how to work. Trust me, they're more durable than you think. You're not gonna hurt them. Um, I, I've been working since I was a little kid. I, I used to, uh, my dad had me driving the tractor at eight years old. I couldn't drive the truck till I was about nine or 10 because in the truck you had to shift the gears in that to pop up and look through the steering wheel. <laughs> and so I could drive the truck about nine or 10 and the truck looked like a self-driving vehicle. Just You couldn't even see. It's like, Who, the, what, that truck is going by itself. This is long before Google and self-driving vehicles have been invented. They go, no, that's just that Jones boy. He's, he's all right. It's all right. <laughs> Start him early. <clears throat> now, um, I, I got three kids. I had three dogs. And my, my boys were in charge of the yard and, and lawn mowing and edging. And my daughter was in charge of landscaping and flowers. And, uh, and they all had the chores and stuff to do all growing up. So I want to show you some pictures of, of children at work. You got to first start them young. This is, this is real important. OK, OK, that's too young. That's a little too OK, that's a little too young for working cattle. Wait, wait. OK, now we're getting close. You know, he can handle it. That's big enough. You teach him how to dress for work. You, you, you teach him how to multitask. <laughs> and you teach them how to work well with others. And what happens if you do it right, they'll grow up to uh, be responsible adults and leave home and buy their own food. So, thank you for that. Thank you. (laughs) We used to have neighbors that would come up to us and go, I see your kids walking the dogs before school and walking them after school every day, rain, sleet, ice, hot, heat, summer, how do you get your kids to do that? And I'd give them the Labrador look. What? I feed them. That's how I get them to do it. It's an amazing thing. If you feed them, they'll do what you say. Teach your kids how to work. Um, Cameron came back home after he'd left home. He'd been on his own. And we were in the back deck, and this vine had grown up and over the deck and was just beautiful and big trumpet uh, flowers were popping off of it. And he looked at it, and he goes, didn't I plant that? I said, you sure did, years ago. It was about that tall. You teach your kids how to work, and I assure you, they will thank you for it at some point. I knew a dad who had a saying, hate me now, love me later. And it will happen. The next thing you need to do is work at rest. Um, This is hard for some, easy for others. The first rest is the day of rest, that is the Lord's day. And we know from Exodus 20 and 8, one of the Ten Commandments, the Lord says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. What we may not know is that he spends more time on that verse and on that mantra than any other of the Ten Commandments, including the one that says, you shall love no other God before me. He spends four verses. Four verses on, remember the Sabbath day. And in those four verses, he says, I'm giving you six other days to work. You shall work, and you shall work for those six days. But on the seventh day, on the seventh day, turn your attention to me and set the other stuff aside. And that includes soccer practice. Oh man, now he's getting, he's hitting a little close to home now. Ouch. You should also have regular rest stops every day. Something to take your mind off of work. Something that you do that gives you somewhere else for your mind to go other than work. And for all of us, that may be different. For some, it may be hobbies. For some, it may be reading. For some, it may be exercise. And we're going to cover fitness at a later point. For me, one of the things I like to do: flowers, bougainvilleas. I love bougainvilleas. I want to show you some of my bougainvilleas. Show, show some of my bougainvilleas. Look at that. Aren't those beautiful? I love bougainvilleas, and I love them because they remind me of women. They're beautiful. They come in a variety of colors. They like to be kept warm in the winter. They can take the heat. They want to be pampered, but you must handle them very carefully because they have thorns, and if, do- and if you don't handle them carefully, they will hurt you. Now, f- now, for those of you—now, th- <laughs> now for those of you men who think that I should turn in my man card because I like Bougainvilleas, <laughs> show them the other thing I like to do for rest. Ah, yeah, there we go. All right, here we go. Just for the record, I eat what I kill. So no Cecil the lion after me, okay? <laughs> The last thing you need to do is make sure you take extended vacations, extended rest periods. I was on the hospital board at Memorial Herman in Houston, and they put out a pamphlet and talked about exhaustion, and they said it takes three days to recover from exhaustion. Three days, and that's three days of bed rest. That means you don't do anything but get out of bed to use restroom and go get something to eat and maybe change the channels on TV or get another book for three days to recover from exhaustion. I would also give you another little hint. When you come back from an extended vacation, don't go right to work take a day to kind of ease down, take another day to kind of do things around the house and do some laundry and pick up a few things, and then kind of ease back into work that third and fourth day. If you can, if you, ha- if you, if you can do that, I think it'll just make your rest period more restful. That's how we work as Christ followers, and that's how we rest as Christ followers. Dr. DeBakey was a well-renowned uh, heart surgeon in Houston. You probably know, know of him heart transplant, one of the first doctors to do heart transplant surgeries. A client of mine went to lunch with him uh, in Houston one day and said, um, Dr. DeBakey, you're 94 years old. You still show up at the hospital for procedures. What's your secret to longevity? He said, you should get up every day and have something to do where you put your clothes on and go do that thing. And It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's gardening or volunteering are going and digging a ditch. He said you should read and join some organization, book club, rotary club, doesn't matter, where you have to recite publicly what you've read or give a presentation. And he had a few more comments and all of them had to do with work, work of the body or work of the mind. Interestingly, none of the suggestions had anything to do with food or exercise. and the reason is we were created for work it is the one thing that we will spend more time doing than just about anything else and we'll spend more time in the workplace and for many of us than even in our home so it is important for those of us who are Christ followers to get it right so that like when we go outside and see the stars and there's just a few stars that shine brighter than the others. They get our attention because something about them illuminates more so than the other stars. Maybe they're a different color. Maybe there's something about that star to, more, to where we ask, Who, what, what is that? And we may find that it's really not a star. Maybe it's a planet, or, or maybe it's a distant moon, but there's something special about it. And that's the way we should be in the workplace. Let's end with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us the gift of work, the gift of our bodies and our minds, our hands, our feet, so that we might move to toil in the sun and to glorify you in the process. Give us all a renewed mind about work, the thing that we do, the thing that you blessed us to do. Yes, we get a paycheck. Yes, we have accounts receivables. But that is not the essence of who we are as Christ followers. That is not the essence of who we are as inheritors of your glorious grace. You see, we find joy in the work. We find joy even when it's not that much fun. May our behavior at work, may our attitude at work, and our integrity shine through so that others will look at us as shining stars. And say, I don't know what it is about that person that makes them so special. I don't know what they have, but I want some of that. If there's anyone here who has not yet accepted Christ, who has not yet accepted his grace, his wonderful and awesome power, now is the time. Now is the time. Perhaps that is why you're here today. So that you can accept this glorious gift, this inheritance, this undeserved favor. And if that is you, all you have to do is ask and say, Lord, I am here and I give myself to you. I want you to forgive me for all of my sins. I trust in you. I trust in your son, Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for my sins. And every drop of blood that dripped from his body was for me cleansed my sins I want that I want that I don't completely understand all of it but I want that if that is you with every head bowed every heart praying fervently that is you let us know your decision affirmatively by raising your hand as a sign That this is my day. And your life will never be the same from this day forward if that is you. If you've made this request at the end of the service, seek someone out the blue tent or in a blue shirt and they'll answer all your questions. And we have this thing we do at this church as you put your hands down, we put our hands together to welcome you in the family.